that even as he writes and leads these people through their lives, he is able to use their examples and their illustrations, uh, you know, for us. Um, it's amazing. The, the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he sets pictures and patterns out there that fit in the New Testament for the life of the believer. And it's amazing how this works. Uh, and they're called allegories or pictures of how that God will work in people's lives. And if you're here tonight, uh, I promise you, you're here tonight because at some point in your life, God began to work in your life. One thing about it, he, um, there, is a, there is a narrow path and a straight path toward God, and it is. And there are not many paths to God. There's one path to God. So keep that in mind. Genesis 21, I just want to take one thought tonight out of this whole chapter. Uh, and deal with it tonight for a few minutes. And, and you've heard this thought over the years, not only from myself, but from other teachers and preachers. I'm going to remind you of a divine truth. And if you'll, if you'll get a hold of it, it can change your life. I, honestly, truth can change you. Uh, you can hear truth, uh, but unless you take that truth and you begin to receive it and actually do something with it, uh, then it won't have much impact because according to the book of Hebrews, that some of those folks heard some preaching, but they did not mix faith with what they heard. You need to mix some faith with what you hear tonight. But Genesis 21, let's read down a few verses, okay? The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. A couple of weeks ago, we reminded you of how that God keeps his word. God is faithful. You can trust what God says when you can't trust what anybody else says. Anybody ever lied to you? Anybody ever deceived you? Anybody ever hurt you? I promise you, God is faithful to his word. I trust my Bible above my own fears, above my own feelings, above my own frustrations. I trust him. He told Sarah, this is what's going to happen, and it did. Verse 2, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And when God speaks to your heart, you can take it to the bank. Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. And by the way, Isaac means laughter. So that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah would have given children suck? And she's referring to the impossibility of them having a child. But God kept his word. It is a miraculous conception and birth of this child. He said, for I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Well, everything's pretty good up to here. And then in verse number 9, the Bible says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in the sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman in all that Sarah hath said unto thee. Hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. A lot of ladies like to joke with me about this right here. 
uh, that uh, gee, there he is. God's telling that man to listen to his wife. And I promise you this, if God spoke to my wife, I would listen to my wife. I promise you that. And a man ought to listen to his wife when God speaks to her. Amen. But be careful the other times. All right. Be careful the other times because uh, he listened to Sarah the first time. And that's why um, they've got uh, this uh, Ishmael here mocking. So I want to show you something here tonight. Let's pray. Father, would you bless your servant? What I have to say, Lord, tonight is is important because you said it is, and I pray, God, that you'll bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. An allegory. I want to use this story tonight as an allegory. To give an example of a couple of allegories in the New Testament, or in the Bible, I mean the Old Testament. Let's take, for example, Enoch. Do you remember who Enoch was in the Scriptures? Enoch, the Bible says, uh, walked with God. And after his son Methuselah was born, he began to walk with God. And the Bible says he had this testimony that he pleased the Lord. And then one day Enoch was walking and all of a sudden Enoch no longer was there. God took him. And I believe that Enoch is a very beautiful allegory or picture of the rapture of the church. I'm aware that he is immediately, uh, we will disappear and uh, then you find Noah, I think, being a type of Israel going into the ark and going through the tribulation and coming out to inherit a new earth. And I believe that is a beautiful picture of what's going to happen uh, in the near future. And so thank God for these, these pictures that the Lord shows us. Now, on the other side of that now is another one. In Exodus chapter 12, one of the most beautiful allegories in the Old Testament is when God told Moses... To go and tell the children of Israel, now listen, get ready, because the wrath of God is coming. And if you're here tonight and you've never been born again, and you've never been saved, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the wrath of God is coming to you. But you can do something about it. You can prepare yourself for the wrath of God. One of the good things about God's mercy is usually He'll send you warning before He sends His judgment. So Moses said, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to take a pure lamb, an innocent lamb per family, and I want you to take that lamb and I want you to slay that lamb. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to put it over the doorpost of your home. And he said, I want you to get inside that house, underneath that blood, underneath that, that, uh, those posts where that blood has been placed. And he says, and when the wrath of God comes through tonight, he said, uh, he said, when I see the blood, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the wrath of God passed over the folks that listened to the man of God and took that innocent lamb. Now, that lamb was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being innocent and pure and then being slain and placed upon the cross. And again, a picture of the doorpost. Of Jesus being nailed to that cross. Of where the blood was here and placed here and here. The picture of the cross. And that if you would have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When the wrath of God comes upon this place. You'll be saved from the wrath of God. Because you have put your faith in the Lamb of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture. And that's one of the reasons why we observe the Lord's Supper. 
is to remind us of, the, of Jesus giving his body and Jesus giving his blood for sinners like you and I that we could be saved. If you're here tonight and you're not right with God and you don't know, you don't know the Lord and the free pardon of sin, what a blessing it is. Listen, don't be intimidated if you're not used to being in church. Because most of the folks in here did not grow up in church. And somebody invited them to church and they heard the gospel and they got saved. And so, you know, what you see now is not what we once were. Amen. It's just by the grace of God tonight. So if you have some questions about your soul and you want to be saved, you want to be born again, you want to be forgiven, washed and cleansed and made whole again, then see us after service and we'll talk to you about the grace of God some more. But tonight I want you to see here that uh, everything seems to be going well in Abraham's house. At least it seems to be peaceable with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael until... Until the promised seed or this child is born. And now that he has been born and comes into the house and attention has been given to him by Abraham, you find that Ishmael is having trouble agreeing and being happy about Isaac being in the household. And so he begins to mock him. So what is that an allegory of? What is that a picture of? For us, would you turn with me to the New Testament for just a few minutes to the book of Galatians in chapter number five? And by the way, it did tell us there also Abraham loved Ishmael. Ishmael is a perfect picture, and I want our young people to try to really get a hold of this. Our older saints, I think they understand it, I think they got a handle on most of it, I think they understand the concept and principle of it. But what a blessing it is when a teenager, when a young adult gets a hold of it. It can change your life. When you realize that Ishmael is a type of the old flesh and a type of the old Jew. And um, Abraham, let's just say Abraham would represent our body. And Ishmael represents our flesh and then along comes Isaac that's what happens when Jesus comes to live in your heart he changes things inside and everything inside there was pretty good until Isaac was born and you can get along with yourself because you love yourself I mean self loves self self will do what it can to survive amen and when Ishmael uh, saw Isaac come into the situation. And by the way, Ishmael was produced by flesh. But Isaac was produced by the power of God and the promise of God. And when you got born again, someone came to live inside of you. The Bible refers to your body like a house. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Like a tabernacle. And that old flesh has been dwelling in it since the day you were born. And it liked to kind of do what it wanted to do. We all kind of served our diver's lust and vanity of our hearts. But when Jesus came to live inside of us, the Bible says the Spirit of God came to live inside of us. And that's Isaac. 
He has come to live. That's, that's that spirit, the new man came to live inside of our lives. And now you find that there is some conflict going on on the inside. Now you find yourself being troubled about some things that you no longer were troubled about. Now you find yourself even that when you try to do what's right and want to do what's right, that there's also another voice that says, uh, you know, you can't do that. You know, leave that alone. You don't need to go to church that often. Man, you don't, you're going to wear yourself out reading your Bible that much. You don't need to. And on and on, there is that voice that is opposed. And there is that voice that says, let's go. All right, look in Galatians 5. You say, well, Brother Roger, you sound like that. You know that you have, uh, what do you call that, that you're, that you're schizophrenic. No, no, I'm not schizophrenic. I just know that Roger loved Roger until Jesus came inside of Roger. And when Jesus came to live inside of me, I learned that Roger was not such a good guy. And that Roger needed to be more like Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5. Look at this. Here's what he said in verse number 16. He said, uh, and by the way, the answer is the only way that they really can't work together. And so the Lord said, you have to kick him out of here. <laughs> You're going to have to kick him out. I sure wish I could kick the old man completely out. But I do need to reckon him to be dead and not listen to him anymore. He doesn't have any authority anymore. Verse number 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And boy, I sure wish I could get that across to you. I thank God for what the world tries to do at times to try to restrain evil. Like 10-step programs to try to help people overcome drugs. I mean, they got to deal with drug addicts. they got to deal with alcoholics. Not, they don't send them to your door to take care of them, do they? They do what they can with what they know and studying human nature. But without that changing of the heart, it's hard for those things to last. Now, I do believe the flesh is strong enough and willpower is strong enough that if you want to lay something down and move away from it, you can. It just won't make you holy and godly, but you can move away from it. My, my, my brother, who was seven years older than I, he was addicted, addicted to uh, nicotine. Nicotine is a very, very strong drug to get off of. And uh, he, um, when he was growing up, uh, he, he smoked all the time. Whenever he could get the hold of cigarettes, he smoked all the time. My mom smoked for a while, and, and then she quit. And then he just kept smoking and kept smoking. And, uh, and then one, one day, now he also loved guitar. Now my brother was, for some of you who don't know my brother, he was... He was not severely retarded, but he was a sort of a mild down syndrome type individual with that sweet spirit and, you know, just a, and, and he, but he could carry on a conversation. Uh, and he knew when gun smoke came on and uh, he, he knew when uh, the Lone Ranger came on. He, you know, he was smart enough to carry on those kind of conversations and understand the gospel and he got saved. But he loved Johnny Cash and he loved to play a guitar. And when we were growing up, he couldn't play a guitar, but he tried to play a guitar. And he would be outside the window of our wood frame house, and he'd have this old guitar, and he'd be banging on that thing for just hours, just banging on it. 
And so he never wanted to play football with me. And I said, hey, I said, you're going to throw the football or I'm taking that guitar away from you. I mean, I'd just work on him like that and make him play, make him do something. Well, eventually we knew that cigarettes were killing. Mom and them finally understood that. And they said, and we, we talked to him and said, look, they said, if you want to get a new guitar, you've got to quit smoking. He quit smoking the next day. I'm talking about after about 30 years of smoking every day, when he wanted something greater than that, his love for a guitar, he laid them down. I'm saying the flesh is strong enough to overcome some things, but that's not what we're talking about here. It cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. See, there's some things you can quit, just like the prodigal son. He came to himself, and he said, hey, man, I've had enough of this. I'm out of here. And the flesh sometimes can get sick of certain things and just walk away from it. Can. A man can quit certain things. Like according to the book of Colossians, he has the willpower to overcome some things. Some men do. But it doesn't make them godly. It doesn't make them holy. It doesn't make them righteous. And it doesn't produce the fruit of the Spirit. So there is, a, there is some power to the flesh. But it's not enough power. And so there's will worship. But then there is that humility and godliness that the Lord's pleased with. I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Is that, that your flesh is powerful. And there's some things you can overcome if you really make an effort to it. But there's some things you'll never overcome without the power of God. You're going to need the Holy Ghost to help you. So look at this. Look in Galatians 5. He says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're having a problem overcoming some areas of your flesh... That's, that's Ishmael. That's Ishmael in your life. And he says, if you'll walk in the Spirit, you can overcome Ishmael. Verse 17 says, for the flesh, that's Ishmael, lusteth against the Spirit. And that's what Ishmael was doing with Isaac. He was mocking him and he wanted to be the favorite son. He did not want his father, Abraham, giving that much attention to this new kid in town. And the Bible says that the Spirit also works and wars against the flesh. These are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And sometimes, can I be honest with you, that the Christian life can be very frustrating. It can be. You can be very frustrating at times, especially when you know better. And you know that you shouldn't go in certain directions and do certain things, and you know that. And then you can't get away with it, and you can't enjoy it very long without being condemned in your heart and feeling guilty about what you done got yourself into again. If you're a child of God, you can't sin and get away with it. You can't sin and just keep enjoying sin. You can't do that. God won't let it happen. And do you notice here in verse 18, he says, But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law, for the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery. These are things that, that the flesh pursues, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. This is, again, Ishmael, idolatry, witchcraft. And when you were lost, at least I know that when I was unsaved man, I didn't think that big a deal about these lifestyles. Just normal. 
It's just what people do. It's what people are. Whether you're white trash or high trash, you're still a sinner. The Bible says here, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I've told you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. When I heard that, Brother Lauren, as a young man in church, I had no idea that God thought that bad about my lifestyle. My cousins, my uncles, my aunts, my parents, my friends, they were all living like this. It was normal for us. It was our path. But when I came to church and I heard the word of God, God shined the light on it. And buddy, I'm going to tell you what, your room can look pretty clean when the light's out. You turn the light on, and the brighter the bulb, the dirtier the room. Amen? And so when God began to shine the light, I began to realize I needed Christ. But you know something else? Now that I've been born again, that light lives inside of me now, and it shines light on everything that I do. Now I can't even think wrong without feeling guilty. And I can't say anything. You know, every once in a while, a real temptation, and we call this the hoops factor. If I've got an extension cord and I'm on concrete, I'm pulling an extension cord, it gets hung on something. If I'm pulling a, a, a water hose and I'm fixing to turn it on somewhere, it's kinked so the water doesn't work. On a hot day, when I'm trying to get that weed eater cranked, I think weed eaters are a real test of spirituality. Can you crank a weed eater on a hot day without saying a bad word or kicking it across the yard? I have to watch. i got neighbors on both sides that can see what I'm doing. But I'm just saying that I cannot even think about what I'd like to say without my heart being condemned now. When I was a young man, man, I'd let her rip and think nothing about it. But not anymore. See, that's the, that's the conflict. That's that new man living inside of me. And, boy, I have found this to be true, that if I listen to him, it brings great peace and confidence when I talk to God in my prayer life. I'll just listen to him. And the Bible says here in verse 21, he talks about the lost man, that if you live in these things and you revel in these things and you just enjoy this kind of lifestyle, you don't know Jesus. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're going to hell. You must be born again. Verse 22 he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. See, this is the, these are the consequences. If you walk in the flesh, these are the things you're going to do. If you walk in the Spirit, he said, there's some love that's been shed abroad in your heart. That love didn't come from the flesh. That comes from God. Joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness and goodness and faith, meekness and temperance against such there is no law. So now when I get up in the morning, I do my very best to have a pattern. I think you ought to work on this. If you don't do it as a young person, you ought to try it. When you wake up in the morning and get all them cobwebs out of your ears and eyeballs and head, you ought to bow your knee before God and thank Him for saving you. Number one. Number two, you should say, 
Father, I want to confess today that Jesus Christ is not only the Lord, but he is my Lord. And Father, I can't, I can't deal with Ishmael. He's stronger than me, but you can deal with him. And I pray that you'd help me today with my attitude and my spirit and my heart. And God, if anything's asked of me today, I pray that I'd answer it right. As a pastor, I ask him, I say, God, would you help me if somebody calls today or texts me or emails me? Would you give me godly wisdom how to respond? And I just believe that, listen to me, you do not have to beg the Holy Ghost to work with you. He sent, was sent into your heart to work with you. He's just waiting for you to yield to him and listen to him. He's a guide, and he'll tell you what to do if you'll listen to him. And the scripture says here in verse number 23, meekness and temperance against such there is no law. And so I wanted to pass this on to you tonight. That allegory over there, you know what Abraham had to do? And it grieved him to have to do it. <laughs> the Lord said, you're going to have to put him out of the house. You got to put him out of the house. And that old flesh, that old self of you, that old, old nature of you that you've got, do not allow it to have the same preference and attention that you give to the Lord and to the Spirit of God as He lives inside of you. And yes, He's there. Acknowledge Him. Talk to Him. Listen to Him. Learn to discern His voice. And listen to it. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for our missionary. Thank you for the Word of God. And thank you for the saints of God. In Jesus' name, amen.